Hello and welcome to Handel's Bank and Insights. I'm Sonia Rothwell. On this week's economic update, what does the news on retail sales in China mean for the global economy? Plus, we have a couple of data releases later in the week. We'll be looking at what we might expect from them. And how is the UK's journey back to the office working out? Have our work habits changed for good? Joining me is James Sproul, Handel's Bank and UK's Chief Economist. Hello and welcome to Handel's Bank and Insights. I'm Sonia Rothwell. On this week's economic update, what does the news on retail sales in China mean for the global economy? Plus, we have a couple of data releases later in the week. We'll be looking at what we might expect from them. And how is the UK's journey back to the office working out? Have our work habits changed for good? Joining me is James Sproul, Handel's Bank in UK's Chief Economist. We'll start with some unwelcome news from China over the weekend. Retail sales dived by 11.1%, which was much worse than expectations. Um, and industrial production fell by 2.9% in April. Should we be concerned about this data? Well, I certainly think we should be concerned about the way that China is approaching their their containing of COVID. Um, it's unsurprising that we've seen this this big drop, of course, if you lock everybody away for prolonged periods of time. They, they just don't spend as much money. We've seen that in the UK. We saw it across Europe, the US. Uh, and we, of course, see the exact same thing happening in China. Um, and they've got a zero COVID policy, which uh, certainly a lot of the stuff I've been reading says it's unlikely to be as successful as the Chinese leadership uh, is, I think, hoping it's going to be. Uh, with the result of that, it's going to be uh, interruptions for Chinese retail. Now, remember that one of the things that China had wanted to do over the last few years was really migrate their economy from being one of being export-oriented to being one of uh, domestic demand being at least equal, if not more important, to production. Well, that's clearly not happening yet. Uh, and of course, it's that export orientation which also impacts upon us. So one of the things that we've seen here in the UK has been um, supply chain difficulties. Now, part of that is due to shipping. Uh, we've seen shipping rates have gone way, way up. It used to cost £1,500 or sorry, dollars to move a container from China to anywhere in Northern Europe. It went up to about 15000 It's since fallen back down to uh, ten to twelve. So a bit, bit off the peak, but a long, long way above where it was. Um, but I think even more importantly for a lot of the supply chain issues, of course, is if you are uh, very, very dependent upon China uh, and they're locking down, well, of course, they're not exporting so much because the factories are just shut. So, um, uh, yes, there certainly is a ripple through effect. Now, the data that came out last week uh, looking at some of those supply chain difficulties, uh, about a quarter of British companies are finding there are ongoing supply chain difficulties. And I think that, that you know, we can point the finger pretty clearly at China as being a major contributory factor to that. So there is, is definitely an impact on our economy, on, on European economies and American economy um, with, with, with all this, this trouble coming through in China. How long do you think that this is going to, to keep playing out then? Is there any signs that it's a medium long term effect? Well, it, it's a very, very good question. Uh, I mean, and, and the answer is um, nobody's quite sure because it does require a, a sort of a change in strategy by the Chinese leadership. And they have proven themselves over, over years to be awfully reluctant to admit that they, they could possibly be wrong. And therefore, you're dealing not here with, with economic sense, but sort of human psychology. And um, that's always a little bit trickier to, to go giving forecasts on. So I certainly think that what we need to see coming out of China is a real change in strategy. And I haven't seen much evidence of that yet. Right. Now, back to the UK, we have inflation figures that are due out in the middle of the week. What are we expecting those to show? 
Well, of course, inflation has been uh, the big story of really the UK and, and, you know, casting our minds back just over a year ago. So in February 2021, the Bank of England uh, confidently predicted inflation at that point was 1%. They thought it was going to go to 2 and just stay there. Well, obviously, that's just not what's happened. And we've seen a huge, huge increase in inflation. And um, I think that the, the big boosts are really what's happening with energy costs. And because of the, the way that the energy price cap is only adjusted twice a year, April and October, we have seen, and we're going to see this data from April coming through. So it's going to show that big jump. Uh, and that big jump could take us as much as 10% uh, uh, UK inflation. So that's that's a huge, huge uh, figure. And um, you know, given our target is two, the Bank of, Bank of England is in for a lot of criticism. So the question really is, what's going to happen the rest of the year? And what's the Bank of England going to do about it all? For the rest of the year, certainly we are thinking elevated levels of inflation will be playing through. And again, we're going to see that secondary jump in the cost of energy coming through in October. So we're looking for it to remain pretty high throughout the rest of the year. And we are looking for it to fall away a bit uh, as time goes on. But then the question becomes one of, you know, is it going to go down to target? Do we need to do anything more other than a few more rate rises? How many more rate rises do we need? What other options do we have as far as monetary policy goes? If we look at rate rises first, of course, the Bank of England did put up rates to 1% uh, the other week, and there is an expectation in the market that it goes up to, well, it was originally 2.5% market expectations, but those have been coming down. And we think even that is looking a little bit um, less likely than um, the Bank of England putting up to, say, 1.5%, and then staying there. That's the difference between what economists are predicting and what the market is predicting. Uh, I do think the Bank of England is going to continue to tighten monetary policy, but it's going to do that through what's known as quantitative tightening. So that means the Bank of England will continue to not repurchase um, uh, more gilts as they expire out of its uh, asset purchase program. And the result of that will be a, a diminution of the money supply. And that will be constraining on inflation full stop. Um, the problem always with monetary policy, gauging monetary policy like that, is the lag between when you increase or decrease the money supply and when it impacts inflation is variable and difficult to tell. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means it's difficult to tell when it's going to have an impact. And, of course, the Bank of England is struggling to try and, and make sure that it, it doesn't get these bad headlines, which is, frankly, deservedly getting at the moment of, in terms of the inflation figures. So we'll have to see how that develops over the course of this year. But certainly I expect the, the data that we're going to see next week, or sorry, later this week, will be pretty bad indeed. Now, we're recording this on Monday the 16th of May, and the Bank of England Governor, Andrew Bailey, is actually facing uh, Treasury Select Committee, I think, yep. this morning, trying to um, find out a, a bit more about the thinking behind the, the bank's policy. Um, another breaking story this morning was that the possibility that Ofgem has raised of raising the energy price cap more than a couple of times a year. If that happens, James, what will that impact be on inflation? Well, it, clearly, um, the energy price cap simply allows uh, energy suppliers to reflect the underlying cost of the supplying of that energy. And if you only do it twice a year, then you get big steps. So if you um, can do it more frequently, you get more small steps. It's not saying the steps are any, the, the ultimate rises are any less. It's just saying you get them adjusted more frequently. And maybe that makes it a bit easier for people to deal with it, but it doesn't make it any cheaper. Um, we're not conjuring up cheaper energy from anywhere. We're just making you more aware of just how much it's costing a lot more frequently. So maybe that would take some of the sting out of um, October, but would put more sting into, say, June and July. But uh, you know, I don't think it's actually going to make much difference. I mean, looking ahead and looking at the GDP figures from last week, which is some interesting st stuff came through there. 
So the, the quarterly GDP figures looks reasonably good. But when you look at the monthly, what we see is that it declined by 0.1%. Now, that's important, I think, it declined because the Bank of England's original forecast for GDP for the year as a whole saw uh, a decline much later in the year. They were thinking more like uh, Q4 of this year. And we at Handelsbank have been thinking, well, no, it's, it's much more likely to come a bit earlier in the year. And in fact, that, that March dip that we've seen suggests that we're going to see a, a dip in Q2, uh, so April through through June. Um, and that certainly looks, looks uh, increasingly likely as to what's going to be happening. So that big step upwards in um, uh, energy prices that we saw in April undoubtedly going to be hitting. What's going to stop us from slipping into recession? Well, two things. First of all, we'll look at consumer confidence, and I know we're going to talk about consumer confidence in a moment. So that's that's certainly very, very negative. Um, but the other thing that that's, has to be put into the equation is really what's what are people doing with their savings? Now, we saw during the pandemic that the savings rate in the UK as a whole went from its normal sort of 75 level to about 24%. Everybody's locked away. They can't spend as much money, so we, we see what's happened there. What we're looking for now is it's fallen away um, as people have gone back into going out to restaurants and, and enjoying themselves and, and spending more money. It's about 6.8% in the last last reading. That could easily fall a good deal further. Uh, it could fall to 4 It could fall maybe even something like 2%. So people are going to, going to naturally both borrow a bit more, and the data we've seen so far is saying they are borrowing a bit more credit card levels of, of debt are up, um, but also they could save a lot less. And between those two, they're going to be able to afford a lot of the higher energy prices. Will they continue to want to do so? Well, that's really almost a matter for uh, consumer confidence as well. And that was beautifully segued. So we've also got consumer confidence figures coming out on Friday this week. What do you expect those to show? Well, it's interesting here. So um, just looking, first of all, at business confidence as measured by the, the purchasing managers ind- indices. Any number above 50 means that the business is expecting to expand. And certainly the, the headline figures we're seeing for the composite, which is services and uh, manufacturing together, um, they're at about 58. So their business is saying, things are looking good. We're, you know, we're planning on expanding. And then you look at consumer confidence. And consumer confidence has tanked. It's gone down to levels which we haven't seen in decades. And you have to say to yourself, things aren't looking great. But they're not looking that bad. And so I think that consumer confidence has rather gotten ahead of itself here. So we'll have to see what happens in terms of those figures, as you say, coming out on Friday, because the figures from last month were looking absolutely terrible. In fact, so terrible, I think people get a grip. It's not just as bad as all that. I was reading the FT, uh, which has done some analysis on something I know you like to talk about, which is our very slow tiptoe back to the office. Google mobility data is showing commuter numbers are still more than 20% below pre-pandemic levels. What's your take on that? Well, you're absolutely right. I I am a big, um, um, very very interested in the whole uh, issue of getting back into work. Um, And I think there's a difference between London and the rest of the country. Uh, certainly, the rest of the country typically working from home about a day a week now, four days a week in the office. Uh, London, uh, as a whole, about three and a half days a week in the office, so day and, a day and a half working from home. Uh, and a number of things, I think, are impacting on this. And if you look at the City of London data, for instance, it's even lower than that. Um, but there's a, a number of things going on here. So one is that we, the UK economy is more service-oriented than many other economies. And, of course, service businesses are easier to do remotely than a manufacturing business. In manufacturing business, you, you really have to be on the factory floor to get anything done. So um, if you've got a big manufacturing economy, uh, you, you clearly need to get back into the office. And so we don't have as much of that, and therefore we can work from home. Uh, additionally, um, we've seen very high transport costs. Now, the UK government, for 
uh, both left and right governments for the last several decades, have taken the view that um, public transport should be largely paid for by the people who use it, so not by people who don't use it. Therefore, more of the cost of the public transport is borne by the person purchasing the ticket, which has left, of course, UK public transport costs high, and therefore UK workers particularly prone to saying, I would just as soon stay at home and not incur that cost. So there's, there's that, and that, you know, the government has to maybe consider, um, you know, do we need to have more of the costs borne on a broader range of, by a broader range of populace in order to, to lower that, that uh, individual cost. Uh, and the other thing, of course, is that uh, lots of survey data says, and the FT has been reporting this, that um, that people, when self-reporting, are you being more efficient, have said, yes, yes, I am. Interestingly, there was a King's College London report out a couple of weeks ago, which looked at that, and they looked at it in three different ways. And they looked at, do people report themselves as being more efficient? And then they looked at output measures. Are they more efficient? And the answer was, they all report themselves as being more efficient. And the, the data for, are they actually being more efficient? didn't show quite the same thing. It showed a little bit of decline in, in productivity. So the jury's still out, I think is, is what we can say. Um, but it's certainly not a one-way street. And um, people are uh, obviously apt to say that they're being wonderfully efficient at home um, because otherwise, what are you doing at home? And maybe there's just a bit of self-interest there.